Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. The Profile is the show where we delve into a person's life, faith and ministry and it's brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine, Premier Christianity. If you would like a free sample copy of our latest issue, head to our website, premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Simply type your details in and we'd be delighted to send you a free copy of the new edition. But today on the show, I'm delighted to say I'm speaking to Martin Smith. Martin is the former frontman of Delirious, one of the biggest Christian bands of all time. The band were active from 1992 until 2009. And during that time, Martin wrote classic worship songs, including Did You Feel the Mountains Tremble, I Could Sing of Your Love Forever, Majesty, and many more. Now a solo artist, Martin's latest album is Love Song for a City, live worship from across the globe. Martin, welcome to the programme. Hey, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's wonderful to be able to sit down and chat. Uh, There's so much I really want to delve into. Let's start with the new album, though. Uh, Congratulations on this coming out. This is Love Song for a City. Thank you. This has been a long time coming for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's probably been about a couple of years coming. And, uh, you know, it's really an amalgamation of two or three years of touring going to different cities across the world with my band. And uh, we started to record uh, everything we were doing. So we would take a mobile setup on the road, maybe get a song everywhere we went, and then we'd take the best of all the moments and then we pieced it together uh, to give you the record that you can listen to now, Love Song for a City. Uh, as you listen back to it, I wonder, does it remind you of some of the places you've been? It's something like 20 different nations, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, cities like Sao Paulo amazing uh, you know you've got Brussels in there you've got um, oh, amazing you know like Sydney's in there um, Cape Town Joburg um, oh I can't remember but the, the, it's just uh, a little snapshot of what's going on in the world yeah. and and great to be able to present that in a, in a, in a yeah. whole record and do you pick up on some of the kind of distinctives on different expressions of Christianity around the world are there are there things to say there you know is a worship night in Sao Paulo very different or very similar to Sydney for example yeah people ask me that a lot you know is it is it different where you go and it and it definitely is for example if you go to Colombia uh, the minute you walk out on stage, people are absolutely passionate, desperate to worship God. Maybe certain places in the UK or America, you know, it takes time to warm people up, you know. So generally, um, and this is, an, is, is not an economic uh, comment, but generally where there's less wealth in a city, that's where people are more passionate. And it's quite sad in a way, but... You know, you go to India or Africa and people just, you know, you light the match and it just explodes. I guess what some people may not know about you, but is very clear if you listen not only to this record, but some other delirious back catalogue, is you can speak or at least sing in Spanish. There's a, <laughs> there's a couple of instances of Spanish, isn't there? Um, can I just set the record straight <laughs> for once and for all, is that I cannot speak Spanish, all right? Um, but you can sing in Spanish. I know, I know a few little words, but uh, yeah, I... Um, I've learned a few songs in Spanish, and uh, but I do need a few crib sheets on the floor to help me. Um, but um, yeah, Jesus Only You, which is a brand new song. It, you know, there's a, there's a piece in the middle of that song in, from Colombia where I do sing in Spanish and you can hear the crowd sing along. It's, it's, it's beautiful, actually. Mm. I understand that the kind of genesis of this record actually came out of a place going back sometime to you feeling a little bit um, stale and you prayed a prayer to God asking him to take you on a kind of adventure and for a bit more risk in your life um, and out of that kind of 
came another band called Army of Bones. Can you tell me a, a, a bit about that? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the great thing about the world that I'm in, of course, is it's, it's mostly, you know, faith-based uh, songs that I write, you know, songs for the church, songs for people to sing on a Sunday morning, and there's nothing wrong in that. Um, but, of course, your your whole world evolves around that system, that institution, that vision. For me, uh, and, and those that have known my work for many years, there's always been that heart to push out, mm. to not see that there, there are any walls between us and the world, uh, to open up the walls, you know, the, the, the open up the doors and let the music play. So this was bugging me again, you know, after <laughs> lots of years. And I just thought, yeah, what I, I really miss is doing some of those gigs or concerts outside the church in normal little clubs or theatres or whatever it is and uh, so at the age of 46 I started a new band uh, called Army of Bones great thing about it was it was very organic it's the same team that were coming out with me on all the worship stuff so it wasn't kind of like different people or we were trying to be something we weren't it was very natural Um, I wrote a whole albums worth of songs that were different from the normal uh it was really all about all about my marriage to be honest just celebrating that uh we'll be married 25 years next year so it was a record of sort of saying wow this is quite amazing we've come so far and if you really listen to that record you you can hear me talking about some of the the sort of bumps in the road and some of the dilemmas and some of the tensions of that over the years as any marriage would have uh, I've been on the road a lot we've had six kids our life is fairly chaotic and so we are very grateful that we're still here in one piece and that record is about yeah about our lives really and that record had real kind of bite to it you know the guitars were up front it was a real rock record yeah and what's fascinating, of course, is we were just talking before we came on air about how this Love Song for a City album, it's the same band as Army of Bones again. Yeah. And again, you've kind of taken that rock feel back into the worship arena. Yeah, I think what the Army of Bones stuff did, because we did several tours around the UK. And, uh, you know, when you're starting out, you're starting from, from nowhere again. So it's back of a van, loading in gear, 20 people would show up, sometimes pretty disheartening, if I'm honest. I can just say I was uh, one of those 20 people. Oh, there were I more really... than that. There were more than that at the London gig. It was, uh, it was a great yeah, night. And it I was really... fun, wasn't it? Because, you know, I mean, I was there. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I knew yeah. you guys are all Christians. But it, was, uh, it, it wasn't almost for Christians, was it? It was let's get out there outside the four walls of the church and have some fun. You know? Yeah. And, and I think if you go back to the delirious vision, it was always meant for people to be able to bring people. Yeah. And like we're in this together. You could bring anyone from work or school or college or wherever, and hopefully you'd feel okay yeah. in that atmosphere. Is yeah. it is it is it a worship time? Is it a gig? Couldn't really figure it out, and that really was what Delirious was. And uh, in a, in a sense, uh, you know, I've just tried to do the same thing, um, but it really opened me up in a way that I wasn't expecting. That as we were in these little clubs. There's one song actually on the Bones record called Love Song for a City. Especially that song, as I was singing that, I'd feel quite emotional because here I was almost singing over people uh, with the same anointing and gifting, you know, as, as when you lead worship. You know, you're wanting the presence of God to come. And, you know, some nights people would start crying and, you know, maybe they wouldn't realise why they're starting crying. and And so... I loved that challenge mm. and I loved being in front of those small crowds. It brought me alive again. And so I think I recaptured some of that vision for what it means to have a heart for a city, uh, what it means to love a city, and then for someone like me to then go and sing over the city. Uh, and then it led beautifully into this new project with, with all these new worship songs. Yeah. So what of army of bones because like you said it was hard work starting from scratch brand new band yeah. going around the uk touring these sort of small venues and i guess was that put on pause to, to make this record of more worship focused yeah it was put on pause uh it's definitely not gone and 
and it's still alive. Um, but yeah, we concentrated on this, and uh, and also my guitar player had another baby. Ah. So okay. he's off the road for a little bit, Johnny, <laughs> the amazing Johnny Bird. And uh, so we'll see what the future holds. But, um, you know, it only takes one song to kind of uh, get away uh, or to be an advert or w- whatever it is that somehow it comes alive again. Mm. Watch this space then. Yeah, hopefully. You're at an age now where your kids are growing up and you get to take some of them not only on tour with you, but they actually end up singing with you. I understand uh, Ellie's actually on the record with you? Yeah, Ellie uh, started coming on the road with me probably when she was 17. Once she'd finished college, she suddenly had the time to do something. And uh, so she came on the road and started growing in that and she's got a great voice. And... uh, you know great heart as well so that's been a really nice season so yeah she's on she's on this record she sings a couple of solos and obviously she's the eldest of six uh she's now married and uh her she's now called ellie lion bear and she's now uh, making a record for provident records in nashville so it's amazing to see how god's blessed her life and blessing it and did you ever kind of hope or expect that some of your kids would go down the music road like yourself? Well, I don't, I don't think we sat down and said, this is like the plan. I think we've hopefully been parents that have let them get on with it. You know, you steer them a little bit and uh, you just find, though, that music's in their blood somehow. You know, they've been surrounded by so much music. They've been on the road with us as, as kids several times over the years and and so it's kind of in them uh but no pressure whatever they want to do uh um, you know they can do whatever they like sure well um we've already started talking about your kids but here on the profile we like to go back right to the beginning of a person's life and hear some of their testimony so for you growing up did you grow up in a christian atmosphere yeah i did my my mum and dad are great people they um our brethren church people so that was what i was brought up with you know very uh small congregation of like a hundred people in a small chapel in the middle of a housing estate and um and, and my dad was one of the they called them elders you know one of the leaders but none of the guys were full-time you know they all have professional jobs and then in their part-time they'd run the church and run the youth work uh, my dad was very dedicated to that and my mum. But um, so I, I wouldn't look back and say it was the liveliest of church upbringings. <laughs> do, they, do they sing Delirious songs or not so much? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, actually. I think um, I think they banned them from their house. But, uh, so, yeah, they're great people. And, uh, you, you know, there, there weren't really things like Hillsong growing up or no. Audacious Church or you know St Peter's where I am in Brighton so the church has come a long way in in the last 20-30 years. Mm. I'd love to talk a bit more about that actually because uh, Les Moyer sat in that chair last year who I know you know well and, and he authored this book called The Missing Jewel yeah. which I think you wrote the foreword for actually and uh, The Missing Jewel is this phrase taken from A.W. Tozer who said that worship was the missing jewel in the evangelical church and Les really makes the argument um, that since Tozer wrote those words there's been an explosion in what we kind of now call modern Christian music and uh, you look around and there's whether it's delirious whether it's your songs whether it's the hill songs mm. this has all exploded in relatively recent and modern times and i guess you've been a you've been a part of that mm. was there a moment in your life where you kind of had that realization that wow this is a new movement really that's that's being birthed partly through what you're doing yeah i you know i'm very privileged and honored to be part of that in a small way i mean really you you go back to graham Really, Grand Kendrick. yeah, Grand Kendrick, uh, in my opinion, would be the—he's the granddad of the whole movement. Shine, Jesus, shine, make way. Um, just brilliant songs, you know, very well crafted songs. And you see Graham now, and he's the same now than he was forty years ago. He's—he's he's not changed. Very humble guy. And so I think that we rode off the back of this sense that you could 
take worship music into a bigger arena mm. because you know he was doing spring harvest he was doing make way marches and songs like shine jesus shine they had a size to them mm. um they they were meant for 6000 people in a big top singing them and i was 13 years old when i walked into one of those big tops graham was leading and i felt that electricity run through my body growing up in a brethren church not knowing much about the holy spirit not having a framework for it but just knowing whoa you know whatever that is up there i would love to do that so i think he's the guy and then of course matt and tim hughes several guys like that come along and then just keep taking it to the new generation and soul survivors played a big part in that and uh yeah it's it's amazing and 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 of course Hillsong, as you said, and Elevation Church and Mosaic Church, and it it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, you know, sometimes now when I listen to the Hillsong Young and Free record, I think, wow, what an amazing privilege to see this in my lifetime. How far this has come, mm. uh, where it, it no longer kids would be embarrassed to play the Christian records. Yeah. Certainly I was as a kid. There, there, there weren't really any. I'd never s- sort of get my friends over from school and say, hey, listen to, you know. But now I think it's very close. Mm. And, I, and I think that's amazing that God's done that. You were 13 when you first saw Graham Kendrick leading worship. When was the first time you led worship? Can you remember? Yeah, probably 12 or 13. Um, I wouldn't have called it leading worship, though. Because like you say, the language for that almost didn't quite exist. No, it it? was a little youth group in our church, uh, Chilton Church in Surrey, and a youth group of maybe eight kids. And my dad said, look, I think we should sing. So you've got to learn a guitar this weekend and do a song Sunday. (laughs) And uh, so that's what happened. I think I just did one song and it was probably awful. but, um, But more so... I would say it grew when I left home and I moved to Eastbourne and joined a church there and uh, people were like raising their hands and like really joyful, really getting into it. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. There's like so much joy here. And it was there that um, a guy, his name was Peter Kegg and out the blue he said well why don't you lead worship at the youth group and i was like well what what is that kind of what what do you mean what is that he says oh just get up with the guitar you'll you'll figure it out (laughs) and but even then i remember even though it was very unpolished way out of tune very unprofessional i remember that god would be there you know and i'd feel the presence of god in a room and so I knew that this was a track that I wanted to go down, and uh, you know, you know, and 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 the rest is the story. Yeah, I guess the rest is history. What was the next big milestone? Was it starting cutting edge band or the next big milestone for me was when I was nineteen, and I was working for a recording studio at the time in Eastbourne called ICC Studios. Part of my job was to record the live worship records at different events around the country. So I'd go off in my van, go to this event, plug in, and it was the very first New Wine event in 1989. And some people from Canada were leading worship, a guy called Andy Park. And I'd never felt anything like it. It was just so profound. The presence of God was so heavy. And I just knew in my own heart that, that these people had something I didn't quite have. And I realized my faith was quite cerebral in a way. Anyway, cut a long story short, um, I had a profound encounter with with God and got filled with the Holy Spirit and went home the next day completely different, woke up and wrote a song called Lord, You Have My Heart. Hmm. And uh, I didn't know whether it was a worship song. I didn't know what it was, but it was just a little prayer. And uh, and what's beautiful about that song is that 30 years on, 
there's going to be a 30th anniversary version of that song, which my daughter Ellie's going to wow. going to sing. So that'll be sweet. But um, yeah, I think that was a big landmark at 19. I'm imagining an incredibly emotional moment in the recording studio when your daughter sings your song that you wrote 30 years ago. Yeah, it, it, yeah, she's um, she's kind of got a really cool version of it. So I'm I'm excited for people to hear that next year. Wow. So coming back to uh, to your story, then um, tell tell me about the beginnings of uh, of the Cutting Edge band. Yeah, it was 1992, and I was part of a church called Aaron Community Church, and uh, my wife was there. My future wife was there at the time, and um, some great guys running the youth team. And the idea was great. Let's start up a monthly worship night. We called it Cutting Edge, and basically it was like 70 kids in a drama school theatre and uh, we just worship like crazy turn the lights down so no one would be embarrassed <laughs> and uh, it was just the beginning of something amazing like a real move of God a- a- across young people in the south of England and every month more people would come more people would come and uh, we did that for five and a half years and it kind of culminated in a big open air event on Littlehampton Seafront where we where out of nowhere 10,000 people showed up and it was great you know we were baptizing people on the seafront just that outdoors worship that public worship thing I love I love it when you've got people wandering around people that you know live down your road they're wandering around they're hearing this music and they're captivated by it and uh, they might not like it but they're captivated <laughs> it's like wow this is really fascinating yeah this is what goes on in church so yeah that was a key time for us and uh, effectively the music team that came out of that monthly event turned into the band delirious yeah and you faced that moment where you kind of had to take a big step of faith in saying we're going to do this full time and be a band Oh, it was massive, yeah, and and I can see at why. At a time when like Christian bands didn't really, uh, yeah. I mean, how many? I mean, how many bands at that time would have been Christian bands and doing it for a living? I can't really think of many. There was one band in America called Violet Burning at okay. the time that I can remember. I mean, you had your Newsboys, DC Talk, and stuff like that, but it wasn't five families no you know i think that's what people don't know completely about delirious it it was five married couples and six 17 children plus our manager had you know he was married and had loads of kids as well so you're talking about doing something that supports all those people so it was a complete miracle and we decided to set up the business together and uh, to really go into it together uh, rather than kind of the singer and his band. It was like, no, come on, we're going to do this together. We're going to throw our lives into it. And uh, I think God blessed that. And we, we were always able to provide. It was it was an amazing miracle, really. Mm. So, uh, so Delirious begins... And as you say, the the kind of rest is history. And obviously, we don't have time to go through all the ins and outs. But just, but just now, looking back on that time, you know, because we're actually now many years since Delirious disbanded. Are there a few memories that you you still sort of find yourself thinking about from those days? Are there recurring memories that come up of of particular poignant times in the Delirious journey? Yeah, there are several great memories. There was one of our first gigs in America was in uh, a little nightclub called the Roxy downtown LA it was rammed with I don't know 600 people the air conditioning had broken <laughs> so you can imagine Los Angeles in the in you know wow you know in, the, in really hot it's the sweatiest thing I'd ever done <laughs> and um but again it was that outside 
feeling of we've got this music that God's given us, but we're outside the walls of the church. And that really was the vision. It was like we are on the streets doing this. Mm. That was amazing memory. Um, places like India, Cambodia, Africa. I remember an amazing time in India. We were going to play a big concert that night. I think it was Mumbai. And uh, we went out during the day to visit one of the projects that the local organisation was supporting financially one of the charities and this was in the red light district in Mumbai so it's quite it was a little bit of a journey through all the streets and we came across this ramshackle sort of hut with probably about 30 women in and about 70 children and this project was looking after all these kids anyway all these women are involved in the in the sex trade um so you know Pretty sad, demoralizing, but beautiful children. No dads about. And uh, so this, you know, trying to look after these mums, give them support. And, uh, you know, some of the stories were pretty horrendous. There was one girl there that uh, caught my eye and we eventually tried to sort of bring her back to England and maybe, you know, adopt her, but it didn't, didn't work out. But what I'm trying to say is that that night we brought them on a coach uh, from that where they lived to the to the venue I mean they've not been to the end of their street these kids let alone you know into the into the city I think there were a couple of hundred thousand people in the field and I just remember at the end of the night getting all the children up and their mums and uh, just them joining in with us you know dancing and you could see their eyes light up. Their children were loving it. You've got these women that have got, you know, in the eyes of a lot of people in that front row living shameful lives. But they're on stage with us dancing and singing. And I got a bit of a glimpse of heaven that night. And I will never, ever forget that. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. It's The Profile this afternoon, where we sit down with a different person every week to find out more about their life, faith and ministry. You've just heard the first part of my interview with Martin Smith, the songwriter, worship leader and former delirious frontman. There's lots more to come from him right after this. Premier Christianity magazine in this month's issue. You just tell the love of Jesus, how he died to save us all. Bishop Michael Curry preached up a storm at the royal wedding, with his message being described as fiery, passionate and raw God. But what was it like to be Bishop Curry on that day? How has he handled the fame that's followed? And what would Jesus make of our royal family? In the latest edition of Premier Christianity magazine, we ask him. Plus, discover how Christians all over the world celebrate the festive season in our brand new December issue. For your free copy, visit premierchristianity.com forward slash free sample. Good news, we've slashed the cost of subscribing to the UK's leading Christian magazine. Now you can read news from a Christian perspective and interviews with fascinating leaders for half the normal price. That's 12 issues of Premier Christianity magazine for less than £20. Plus, take out a subscription and we'll enter you into a prize draw to win £200 worth of new Christian books. There's never been a better time to subscribe. Go to premierchristianity.com forward slash subscribe. The Profile. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. Hello and welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. My guest today is Martin Smith, the former delirious frontman, worship leader and so much more. Let's find out more about Martin's faith journey and some of the things that he's passionate about. Here's part two of my interview with Martin Smith. I wanted to talk about one of the final projects Lyris put out, Kingdom of Comfort, because that album, a huge part of that was recognising injustice. Um, the opening lines even of that record, you know, save me, save mm-hmm. me from the kingdom of comfort, rhyme king, from my unhealthy lust of material things. Later on, Our God Reigns, my Chinese takeaway could pay for someone's drugs, yeah. you know, highlighting the kind of injustice around the world. 
tell me more about how that kind of revelation came about for for you and really for you as a band I think because that was quite a powerful that that album was making a very powerful point yeah it was it was a really big time for us because we had started traveling to I would say some of the more two-thirds world nations some poorer countries and uh, with with a preacher from America called Joyce Meyer who's an amazing lady and so we were one minute we'd be on, be on stage another minute we'd be on a rubbish tip in Cambodia with a hundred kids just trying to fetch rubbish out of the dump to make a living you know just disgusting heartbreaking stuff and it, I think it really affected us very deeply and I think a culmination of those trips I remember getting back in the studio and Stoogie turning his amp on and just the sound of his guitar through that amp it was just India it was just like it was like a heart cry of yeah, we've got to do something about this you know so you know that's the amazing thing about music it does what what gets into your blood comes out in in your music you can hear it on that record that yeah. we were asking big questions yeah well i mean some people will kind of critique uh worship leading or big events and they'll say things like well it's you know it's wonderful to see christians raising their hands in worship and being so passionate but what happens when the music stops are we actually living out our faith in such a passionate way day to day it's it's one thing to sing a song right another thing to save someone from a rubbish tip in the third world yeah of course and and i and i guess that's the great challenge of the christian faith is that we we do believe that god can do anything but also he's expecting us to do it as well so it's a it's a mixture isn't it of so many stories through the scriptures of god commissioning people to do things you know here's an assignment um, I want you to rebuild the walls of Jericho or I want you to walk through the Dead Sea or I want you to, um, y- you know, there's so many stories. But then we have to get up, up off our butt and actually do it. And that's the bit that's hard because that is uncomfortable. And so, you know, that's the thing that we all have to work out for ourselves is is there has to be some sense of danger in our life, mm. you know, to keep us alive. And, and that was partly one of the reasons for doing the Army of Bones project. It was it felt a bit dangerous and, you know, this could sink everything. But, you know, you, you've got to keep getting out there uh, in front of people that would never come to church. It's interesting as people kind of look back, um, there's a there's a Christian author called Mark Sayers who spends a lot of his time kind of critiquing culture and, and Christianity. And, and he was remarking that kind of into church from 1989 to 2008, he called it an era of relevancy where we were very against the kind of Christian ghetto. And, and like you said, we want to get out the get out there and impact culture um, and Mark talks about a band like Switchfoot in the US who kind of reached a level of cool and, and crossed over a little bit and, mm. and you guys did here as well you crossed over into the mainstream it was deeper that went to number 20 in the charts so do you still kind of believe in that way of thinking about mission of being of being relevant to the culture because some have have suggested that's you know how, how much impact does that have let's say if someone's listening to the top 20 and they hear they hear deeper they don't know that you're Christians. The song isn't overtly about Christianity. You know, what does it actually achieve? Some people are a bit negative about this yeah. idea of cultural relevance. That's a really good question. And, and I think that's the mystery of art, isn't it? You know, some pe- you know, two people can go into an art gallery, see exactly the same painting. One can be moved to tears. And the tears might bring healing in a certain area. And one might walk past it as though it's completely meaningless. So the the call factor or the relevancy factor is so subjective you know what's cool to me might not be cool to you what's relevant to one part of culture is completely irrelevant to the other and so as when you get onto music it's the same so i no i don't think you can be cool enough, <laughs> i don't think you can ever be cool enough to kind of in essence be cool you just have to be yourself and be authentic 
and hopefully in that that God might use you you know you're just hoping that the things you bring to the table God might be able to say great mm. I can use that yeah but um you know you've got bands like U2 over the years who have had a huge impact on culture uh and the cynics would say well you know but has it grown the church well in a sense that's the wrong question to ask that the, the question to ask is has it brought comfort to people and i would say absolutely it brings comfort to the soul great art keeps your heart soft and when your heart is soft then that's when god can move in and speak and he can touch your life if your heart is made of stone it's hard you know it's it, it's hard for god to deal with with that so and I would I would include a lot of mainstream stuff, you know. There's some great music out there that keeps the heart soft. Mm. Uh, it might not necessarily come out of church people, but it's equally as important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we must give value to that. Yes. I, I confess I didn't have you down as a Stormzy fan, but I understand you've been enjoying some of his work, for example. Yeah, I, I, um, I do love that record. Um, it's it's a it's brilliantly put together, uh, gang signs and prayer. And I went to the show at Brixton. Yeah. And I was captivated by it. I, you know, he's a leader, and he's definitely understood that he's got a high calling. It's not just about his music, but I think he understands that he's on the planet to do something very significant. And. Uh, you know we'll see what happens you know yeah do you um uh, are you sort of thinking more about raising other musicians up you know whether whether they're worship leaders or whether they're christians who want to go into mainstream are you is that part of day-to-day life for you now in trying to encourage others to to come through and and learn from you and take it further <laughs> yeah well i'm not sure they can learn anything but i i am intentional about finding people with that heart and just trying to be a friend, you know, trying to be an older brother or whatever. And uh, if I can help in any way, that's great. But um, the key to it is not trying to find people that look like you or sound like you. Uh, I think that would be very easy to sort of, oh yeah, what what I need to do is find the next sort of, worship leader acoustic guitar player white guy you know oh yeah that's who i need to mentor but but it's really about finding people who carry the fire you know it's carry that fire for god fire for their cities fire for culture and um and just just trying to be people's friends you um you mentioned before when you first started leading worship uh, you said you know you said very humbly that you sure it didn't sound very good and it was a, you know, you're a bit out of tune or or whatever. Um, Sometimes when I talk to people who are perhaps a little bit older than me and they talk about worship in the 1970s and 80s, I often hear people say it was, it was amazing. Like, like you just recalled of how it didn't have to be the best music. People weren't the best singers. They didn't know all the chords and yet the Holy Spirit really turned up in a powerful way. And I just wonder sometimes it, is the danger of where we're at right now that we have got so much amazing professional well-done music is there a danger that some worship teams kind of seek after well we've just got to replicate that guitar part and we've got to focus so much on how it sounds and finding the best guitarist in church is there a danger we lose the kind of the heart behind it yeah yeah of course and it's it's an individual thing isn't it you know it's not a blanket sort of oh i think this is happening right now in the church because there are some people that pursue perfection at all costs but of course you can never achieve perfection you know it's elusive so what does that really look like is it the perfect worship set that ends on time is it the light to come up at the right time and down you know to someone that could be perfect but to someone else that could be i don't really like that I prefer it to be a bit more lo-fi. So that's very subjective. Um, 
And then, you know, you go back to that season and I think the one word that sums it up is passion. Mm. You've got a new move of God in the United Kingdom. As you say, 1970, 1980, you've got the house church movement growing outside the established church. Um, Pockets of people around the country just worshipping like crazy, seeing miracles, seeing people healed. I think passion will always rule over perfection. It's not wrong to aim for perfection. And it's not also right to just have passion without a little bit of framework and at least, you know, sort of turn the sound system on and <laughs> have the mic sounding okay. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think that the thing that we sometimes are guilty of now is that church can be a bit consumerist so when i look at my kids generation you can see a little bit of consumerism creeping into their christianity it's like yeah i love jesus i'm into god but as long as i like this meeting as as long as i like what's going on Mm. i can do this but if it's sort of the wrong songs or the wrong vibe or then uh, Mm. I'm not really into that then that there's alarm bells there right yeah and and I think you know you should be able to just worship God wherever you are and 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 train that muscle Mm. to just be grateful to God wherever yeah I was really interested to, to speak to Dan Blythe who works at Hillsong and he said something very similar I thought was very profound and he said that it's a sign of spiritual maturity as we grow that you can worship God in a cathedral with an organ or you can worship God at a rock concert. Mm. And there's a maturity in learning how to, like you say, worship God anywhere. Yeah, and God is omnipresent and you can find God in anything because there's always good in something and God is good. And yeah, you you find it, don't you? And, um, you know, we're only talking about style, aren't we? You know, the nature of God and the wonder of God will never change. I mean, he that's who he is. So you can't change those things. The only things that change are the way we do it. And uh, 35 years ago, you wouldn't have found many drum kits in a church. And now pretty much across the world, every church has got a drum kit. And so it's just the way we do things that change, along with sort of the haircuts and <laughs> skinny jeans or, you know, flares or whatever. That will always change, but as you say, the maturity is, well, this is who God is. He's Alpha and Omega, and so let's just get down to business. Yeah. What do you do when you're feeling a bit dry spiritually, where you've lost sight of who God is, or when you're finding it hard to to praise or to write worship? Are there things that you do that, that help you reconnect with God and find that passion again? Yeah, personally for me, the dryness comes when... I'm a bit overworked, a bit busy. I've taken on a few things that I shouldn't have done, which has sort of sapped my energy. And I'm trying to learn the art of, you know, just doing things that I feel are the right things. But of course, you can never get that one completely right. We do things with good intentions. And I notice personally for me, if... If I'm in a season where I'm really in the Word of God, um, you know that's that's the antidote for dryness. Mm. Is just being in the Word of God. It's alive. It's living. It always speaks, and and, and that's the thing that brings you life. You know, it is alive. Mm. So you know that, that's a good discipline. Yeah. You mentioned growing up in Brethren Church, and I know you're now in St Peter's Church in Brighton. Um, and I think I'm right in, in saying that you've throughout your life been in lots of different kinds of churches. And certainly when you've gone around the world and toured, you've toured in all sorts of different denominations. Is, uh, you know, would, you, would you describe yourself as an Anglican or would you describe yourself as someone who enjoys and doesn't really feel allegiance with any one denomination? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm being fully respectful here. I mean, I don't think I would re- refer to myself as an Anglican. Um, but also I don't know many Anglicans that would also refer to themselves as Anglicans necessarily because I think uh, 
people's worldview is bigger than that now. We realize that God is blessing so many different movements, churches around the world. Each have their strengths and each have their weaknesses. You know, I think for us as a family, we feel we're part of an amazing local church in Brighton called St. Peter's. And it just happens that it's in a cathedral. Uh, but that very same church could also be in a school hall or mm. a, a warehouse and be equally as um, dynamic and mm. and strategic. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that God's doing amazing thing across the whole breadth of the church. And it's amazing yeah. to see. How, how does it work when someone like yourself walks into St. Peter's and, and joins? And, you know, it, it's not like you're the average punter. I mean, you're someone who's written worship songs that are sung around the world. Do you sort of turn up and apply for the worship team and, you know, you might get in, you might not? <laughs> well, we've got an amazing team at St. Peter's and it's led by a brilliant guy who I can um, really say has become a great friend. His name's Paul Nelson, uh, a really exceptional guy. He's in charge of all of it. Uh, I think if I tried to run a local worship team, it would it would last about two weeks. Why is that? I think I'd f- probably forget to book a bass <laughs> player and a drummer. The and, admin side of things. Yeah, maybe. I think I'd. Is it is it true that musicians, generally speaking, are pretty terrible at organisation? Uh, it's not completely true, um, but as a generalisation, generalisation because the the creative bit of your brain um, to do that well, it can't function at the same time in the administrational realm you know mm. it's, you know they say that when you're creating you have to flick on a bit of your brain which is purely able to get lost in that but you're not able at the same time to adjudicate that performance so that's why you need other people to help you judge how your life is going mm. or is it was was that is this a good song so you need you need a whole team of people you need you know you need lots of people in your life to sort of give you balance but um there are some very rare people that are administrational and creative but usually the genius type people that's all they can do mm, the creative side is all they can do yeah 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 Fascinating. And the stronger that is, yeah. the less the other thing is. <laughs> so uh, so one of the things that St. Peter's is, is quite well known for, um, as well as being part of the kind of HTB network, it was it was planted out of Holy Trinity Brompton as one of one of a number of very successful church plants from from that kind of part of the Church of England, is uh, the other thing it's known for is is Bright City, which mm. I remember when that first record came out, I was incredibly excited by it. That, seemingly came out of nowhere just very fresh sounding worship mm. music from the team at, at St Peter's and you've obviously had some involvement in that so, so tell me a bit about the Bright City project. Yeah it's been a great experience actually because simply at the heart of it was you know let's get all the songwriters in the church and we're talking about you know the 17, 18, 19, 20 year olds put them in a room and um, we would usually do those retreats at our house in Brighton and we'd eat lots of food and try and write loads of songs and it was just amazing to see all these brilliant ideas coming out of nowhere Um, the brief that I remember giving people quite intentionally was look don't try and write this so it's going to be sung on a Sunday morning just please just let out of you what is inside of you and don't try and sort of churchize it and think oh if I do this and do that then it's going to be a a church song or whatever but really let out what's inside of you and I think you can hear that on those two projects it's it's a very young sort of a expression of like ah this is amazing God's alive and we have no boundaries how would you describe your calling? <laughs> um, well, I, I've never been asked that before. How would I describe my calling? Well, I love music and um, I actually believe in the power of music. You know, if you go back to 1 Samuel and the story about the shepherd boy, David, 
and King Saul calls him in with his harp. You know, they commission him to play before the king because, you know, he's got an evil spirit that he's tormented by. I think, you know, I think that's that's kind of me, really. You know, it, it's it's I don't have much in my hands, but I do believe that when you play music or you sing over people, that stuff can happen. And so that that story is in the scriptures for a reason, and it's there to remind us that actually spiritual music, God music, whatever it is that's um, blessed by God, it's powerful. Mm. You know, that's why the worshippers were at the front line of the army, because it, there was power in that. And um, so whether I'm with Army of Bones in a little club with 20 people, or in a stadium full of people and they're singing Waiting Here For You or Majesty, um, I, I'm expecting God to do mm. supernatural things. And so if I could sum it up, I don't know necessarily what my calling is, but I believe that God can move through music. Mm. And and I've seen that over the years and, 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 and I believe it hugely. You'll remember a time, I'm sure, in the in the 80s and, and 90s, where much of the UK church was really praying for revival, mm. and more than that, really believing it was around the corner. Um, is that something that's still on your heart? You think is still coming? That you? Yeah, I think that if you, you know, the problem with our brains is that we can only observe the season that we're in. We can only live in the moment in history that we're actually in but you know we have now the hindsight of looking over you know a 2000 year history of the Christian faith and then you see seasons where there's a you you know the faith struggles and then there's seasons of renaissance and you see these highs and lows throughout history and I think that this is an amazing season to be alive in because it feels to me like God's doing more behind the scenes, behind our back, than we realise. In what way? Well, you look at the two most powerful leaders in the Christian faith, the head of the Catholic Church, the Pope, the head of the Anglican Church, two spirit-filled guys that love Jesus. I think that's a new thing. It and says something, though, that, uh, you know, that's that's a new thing. I mean, yeah. you would hope that would always be yeah. the case. I mean, those guys have been at war with each other in, in, in history. But there they are in the same room. And I've heard Justin Welby talk about the time when he first met Pope Francis. And they just laughed for half an hour uh, at the whole ridiculousness that... He's the Pope and he's the head of the Anglican Church, <laughs> Archbishop of Canterbury. And how they're just ordinary guys called by God uh, to serve serve the kingdom of God. So I think that's quite a key thing. And um, I think there are some things happening in government, which I hear about, which I think, again, things happening behind the scenes, which are very positive. Um You've got amazing music being made, not often in the guise of Christian music, um, but people that are connecting with a new generation in, in a totally different way, and I love that. I think there's a lot to be hopeful for. I really enjoy speaking to optimists, but I, I have to play the devil's advocate here. Yeah, and yeah. Say, you know, less than 2% of the country go to church. Every survey that comes out about faith in this country almost every survey seems to suggest decline certainly decline in traditional denominations like the church of england Uh, anecdotally you you talk to people about the size of their youth groups and children's work and Mm. there's a lot of bad news around as well isn't there yeah of course there is and it's a very worrying time to be a parent isn't it um you know and and so we live we live in difficult times for sure um, just because church statistics don't look good, you know, with that, what you're assuming is is that 
a generation and a culture can only be touched if they walk in a church building. But of course, God is much bigger than that. He's moving through art, through sport, through culture, through um, through so many different things. And and that's what I'm saying. That's why art is so important because it keeps people soft. And what we're praying for is it is a bigger thing anyway. Mm. We're not we're not praying, are we, or living for? Oh, maybe we can get it back up to five percent of church attendance. Oh, that would be great. Or maybe six percent. We're actually living and breathing and praying for a move of God upon the nation. And that's a different thing. Mm. That's a that's a sovereign thing. That's outside of our control. That's something that God when he chooses to visit a nation in power. And we've seen that in history. And uh you've got to hope for that, haven't you? Yes. Some some lyrics are coming to mind as you say this about uh, you know, uh we can see God you're moving uh, you know, through the nations when young and old return to Jesus, fling wide your heavenly gates. You know, yeah. this is something you've you've clearly felt and been writing about for, for a long time now. So is it always easy to to be so optimistic as you've just said? You know, there must be days surely where you think, Am I really gonna see some of those things I wrote about or or is this sense of, of hope and faith always there? Well, it it I'm like everybody, you know, I read the news every day and I absorb the tragicness of the world. Um, I think mental health, uh, especially young people, is is going to grow and that's going to become very dangerous for culture uh, and I get very sad about that. Um, image for for kids is a huge thing you know, not really ever feeling like they're ever going to match up. And suddenly at a young age, you know, a child's soul is kidnapped, you know, by this idea that you're never going to make it. You're never going to be, you're never going to be on Love Island, you know. <laughs> and it's, 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 a, it's an evil disease. So I get angry about that. Of course I do. Um, but also... You know, you you read um, about the amazing things that Jesus is. And we either believe that or we don't. You know, that he's the saviour of the world. He's come to bring hope and peace. And, you know, he... Mm. You know, when he was here on the earth, he did extraordinary things. And, and you have to believe that he's alive. And he's going to continue to do extraordinary things. Mm. So uh, keep going, everyone. So you've got a new project coming on the way, I understand. A new solo project coming out next year in 2019. How much more can you reveal at this stage about what it's going to look like? Yeah, it's going to be a studio record, this one. And uh, I, I'm very excited about it because it's going to be all brand new songs. And it's been a long time since I've done a proper studio record of 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 any worth really the god's great dance floor stuff really was more my demos from my home studio that kind of made it out but i didn't have a proper producer on them i didn't you know it was just where i was i'd left delirious and you can hear that sort of I'm in my own space doing that, but but now I'm I'm a bit feel a bit more ready to sort of uh, go a bit bigger on this one, and uh, I'm going to work with a guy called Gabriel Wilson in in Portland, Oregon, and he's a great producer. Just produced John Markman Millen's record and various other things, so that's going to be an honour to work with him. Mm. Is it going to sound uh, more like kind of the worship stuff, or is it going to be more Army of Bones or a mixture? I'm hoping it will sound like nothing. Sound like I've nothing ever done. you've ever done before. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. That it will be. You get what I mean, though, because I mean, may- maybe we go back to your earlier comment about saying, "Well, don't actually write songs as if you think they're going to be sung on a Sunday morning in a church." Mm. 
but you know nowadays may, maybe you're breaking the mold but may, nowadays generally speaking an album will come out and either people will think oh yeah this is a load of songs I can sing on a Sunday mm. or oh this is Martin trying to do something he did like with Mesomorphis or uh, Audio Lesson Over where it wasn't specifically for, the, for sure. the Christian world necessarily and and I think you have to be true to your calling don't you and I've always for me I've always got one eye and one ear on people that I know would probably not walk in through the doors of my church, but I want to give them some music that they're going to like. Now, you know, you take a song like 10,000 Reasons, it, it's possibly the greatest church song of our time. You know, it's certainly in the last 10, 15 years. Um, it's a hymn. And so that is so, that's true to Matt's calling. And you know we're we're great friends, but we have different lanes, uh, and that's okay, isn't it? And there is no doubt that the church needs those songs. Mm. You 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 do. We all need those. Uh, church couldn't exist without those songs. But also, there are some songs that sit in the middle, which maybe in twenty years' time, church might be singing them. So you have to just stick to what you believe you're called to do. I like that idea. It's quite a pioneering way of thinking about your own music, isn't it? Saying, well, I'm going to be an artist. And we've, we've mentioned that word art quite a lot in this interview. And just to bring us back to it again, because I've heard people remark in the past that the, the church hasn't always been great at honouring artists. Mm. Um, I can think of, of delirious songs and records where you, know, you had criticism from the, from the church who didn't necessarily get the heart behind it. They didn't understand, well... You know, you hadn't written that song for a Sunday morning. You'd written that song because of what you already said about taking God outside the four corners of the church and to make art for for others who don't know Christ. Yet. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a difficult one, isn't it? I you're always living in the tension. Um, I remember there was one song. Oh, you you might know what record it's on. I can't remember now. It was called "It's Okay." Basically, we we were in America and. We were doing doing a show there, and after this girl came up to us with a friend, very, very sad, you know, looked in a right state, and just basically told us that the week before this girl had tried to take her own life, tried to commit suicide, but she'd been rescued by this friend, and she was at our concert to sort of live to tell the story that well, I'm still here and of course she was very moved by the night and had a sense that God was with her so I remember just looking at this girl thinking you know you look like death warmed up literally mm. you know and you're going to need a lot of help and a lot of care so I remember putting in the line you know she's as pretty as hell uh, and her eyes have no home and it was a for me, just a really poetic way of, of describing. She was very pretty, very beautiful, but there was a tension there, you know. She sort of, she'd touched the dark side, you know. And and I remember, uh, you know, getting the call that a whole chain of bookstores in America had banned the record uh, just because of that one line. But then that song going on to be people's favourites in a lot of ways and, and, you know, radio played it here in the UK. And, of course, no one outside the church has an issue. Uh, and, in fact, they're moved by it, touched by it. It's like, oh, wow, this is kind of a real thing rather than sugar-coated. So, you know, we've had our knocks uh, over the years and, and, not, of course, not done everything right and been sometimes a bit uh, you know feel like we know it all but um yeah that will be an example of you just can't please everybody welcome to my world as a magazine editor <laughs> i know exactly what you mean um so i feel like and this might just be me being hopeful but i feel like some sort of delirious reunion one-off gig one-off tour is only a matter of when rather than if am i being too hopeful <laughs> well look we're all good friends and um you know, I mean, three, of, two of the guys are my brother-in-laws, so we still do birthdays and Christmas and hang out. Um, 
I'm good friends with Stu and John. So I don't know. Um, it's interesting when you've left something for so long. You know, it'll be 10 years next year. Which is a great excuse to yeah, do yeah. a reunion tour. Just saying, Martin. Just and, saying. and everybody's moved into a new season, a new calling. And I don't know. I think um, if the right thing came up and it felt like a lot of fun, you never know. I bet there's never been an interview post Delirious where you haven't been asked that question. <laughs> it's been asked a few times, but more and more recently. I apologise. Well, I don't apologise, but keep asking it because uh, I know that's exactly what people want. And hey, may, maybe just maybe at some point in the future. But Martin, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting. Thank you so much for coming in. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, there you have it. That was my interview with the worship leader and former Delirious frontman Martin Smith. I really hope you enjoyed that interview. I certainly had a great time meeting Martin and hearing so much of his story. If you want to hear more great interviews like this one, why not check out the archive on the Profile podcast? We've got over 100 interviews now from Christian leaders around the world involved in all sorts of different things. You're sure to find more episodes of interest. Just have a look. And while you're doing that, if you wouldn't mind giving us a rating and a review, that would really help more people to discover the show. Please do also share it around on social media. It all really helps us get this show out to more and more people. That's all we've got time for this week. We'll see you next time.